0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Matthew chapter 5. I want to try and ask, and by God's grace, answer the question, what does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? There are a few issues that require more pastoral sensitivity than this issue of divorce and remarriage. Getting it wrong one way can have massive consequences, particularly for women who feel trapped in abusive and unsafe relationships, and getting it wrong the other way can bring shame and infamy upon the name of Christ. And so pastors and elders and really anyone trying to give Christian counsel to a friend has a responsibility to know what the Bible says and to teach, encourage, correct, and reprove accordingly. And so I want to look at all of the relevant Bible passages, and I want to begin with Matthew 5. In order to get the sense of the context, we probably need to begin at verse 27. This, of course, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks At a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, once again, here, as he so often does in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is interested in taking his disciples deeper into the original and true meaning of the law. He is correcting the overly superficial interpretation of the Pharisees. The Pharisees generally taught a perfunctory obedience to the law. And in doing so, they often miss the actual point of the law. And so it is here. Jesus is saying that it is not enough simply to abstain from sex with your neighbor's wife. That's a great starting place, obviously. But the kingdom way is deeper than that. The kingdom way is for us to love our wives and to be glad in them, body, mind, and soul. He goes on to say in verse 29, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Here, Jesus is obviously speaking figuratively. He's saying that we must take... Extreme measures to battle the sin and lust in our hearts, lest it work its way through our bodies and drag our whole person down into hell. Hear that counsel, brothers and sisters, and understand this divorce often begins in the mind of a happily married man or woman. Divorce is the fully ripened fruit, but fantasy is the deadly root. And Jesus is saying, let's fight the battle here. This is where you fight for your marriage. In the mind, in the heart, and in the dark. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Once again, Jesus is positioning himself as the authoritative interpreter of the Old Testament, specifically here as the authoritative interpreter of Deuteronomy 24. In that passage, Moses does permit the giving of divorce certificates, but the Pharisees had interpreted that passage to mean that Moses approved of divorce and even commended divorce. Not so, Jesus says. Rather, the original intention of that law was to limit divorce and to protect vulnerable women. If a woman was cast out by her husband and not given a certificate of divorce, she would have been unable to get remarried and would have been financially destitute as a result. So, Because of the hardness of human hearts. We'll talk more about that when we get to Matthew 19. But because of the hardness of human hearts, Moses permitted and restricted divorce to a very narrow set of circumstances. He permitted divorce on the grounds of sexual immorality. Therefore, Jesus says, if you pursue a divorce for other reasons, you are committing adultery. If you put your wife away for other causes, you are committing adultery or forcing her to commit adultery. Now, there is a largely parallel passage in Matthew 19. Flip forward there. This time, Jesus' opponents are explicitly stated. They're they're present in the narrative. We see them very clearly. So if you have your Bible flipped now to Matthew 19, look at verse 3. It says, And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful... So the key word in the above passage for our purposes is the Greek word pornea, translated in the ESV as sexual immorality. The word has a range of meanings, but it almost certainly refers to the entirety of the holiness code as recorded in Leviticus. The holiness code exhaustively itemizes prohibited forms of sexuality. As for example, in Leviticus 18, 20-23, which says, And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. So those are prohibited forms of sexual expression. That's what pornea is. Leviticus 20, verses 10 to 21 contains similar content. It says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness, both of them shall surely be put to death, their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter in law, both of them shall surely be put to death, they have committed perversion their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male, as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Verse 15, if a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death and you shall kill the animal. Verse 17, if a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother and sees her nakedness and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people, and so forth. Again, that's a list of forbidden sexual contact, forbidden sexual activity. That's the body of content that lies behind the word pornea. Thus, when Jesus says that he forbids divorce except in cases involving pornea, we understand him as saying that he considers adultery, homosexual sex, incest, and bestiality as constituting justifiable grounds for divorce. If any of those things have occurred, then it would be permissible to issue a certificate of divorce. The Apostle Paul appears to add another exception in 1 Corinthians 7, 12-16. There we read this. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace, closed quote. Now the phrase, I not the Lord, causes some people a little bit of nervousness. It certainly does not mean that Paul is speaking here in a non-authoritative sense. It just means that Paul is adding something under the Holy Spirit's inspiration which does not come directly from the available teachings of Jesus, which we immediately recognize because we have just read the available teachings of Jesus. Jesus didn't say this. But the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and according to the expectation Jesus established in John 16, Jesus said that he hadn't said everything that needed to be said in his earthly ministry. But he was going to send the Holy Spirit, to help the apostles remember everything he had said and even to expand upon those things as required. Jesus said that in John 16, 13 to 14. And here we see the apostle Paul acting on that. He is fleshing out the teaching of Jesus. He is adding another reasonable exception. And that exception appears to be the issue of abandonment And we usually add the words, due to spiritual incompatibility. He seems to be saying that the believer is not to initiate divorce if the unbeliever is willing to have the believer as a spouse. But if the unbeliever does not wish to remain in a marriage covenant with a practicing believer, then in such cases, they are not bound. They are free to divorce and remarry. So to summarize, based on the passages in the New Testament that address this issue, we can say with confidence that a believer may initiate divorce in the following cases. Number one, her husband has committed adultery with another man's wife. And I'll I'll just stick to the one gender pronoun throughout for convenience sake. I'm very much aware that this works either way, that there are many wives who commit adultery on their husbands, but just for the sake of convenience, I'll stick with a singular set of gender pronouns here. All right, so exception number one, her husband has committed adultery with another man's wife. Number two, her husband has had homosexual sex with another man. Number three, Her husband has had sex with an animal. Number four, her husband has had sex with a relative. That is, he has committed incest. Number five, her husband no longer wishes to be married to her because she is a Christian. Now, sometimes you'll hear it said that there are only two exception clauses with respect to divorce, sexual immorality and spiritual abandonment. But just for the sake of clarity, I've broadened out that first category to the item's specifically mentioned in the Holiness Code. In any of these five cases, the believer may pursue a divorce. Now, a very commonly asked question would be, what about situations of physical abuse? I get asked that a lot. The Bible does not, in fact, address the issue of physical abuse as a potential justification for divorce. But it does say a variety of things that will be helpful to any pastor, elder, counselor, or friend giving advice to an abused person the first thing that should be said is that physical abuse is a sin the bible commands a christian to pursue righteousness godliness faith love steadfastness and gentleness first timothy 6:11 and husbands are told in 1 peter 3:7 likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life So that your prayers may not be hindered. So, the Bible commands all Christians to be gentle in their dealings with one another, and it tells husbands specifically to be understanding and gentle towards their wives, to treat them with special honor and respect. And it threatens spiritual consequences for those who reject this commandment. Therefore, we can state very clearly that spousal abuse is a sin and should be named as such by pastors and elders and all Christians generally in the church. We should also say that spousal abuse is against the law. Therefore, a woman who has been hit by her husband should do two things immediately. First of all, she should call the police. The Bible says that the king does not bear the sword in vain. Romans 13 verse 4 goes on to say, For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So the Bible says that God gives to the government, to the magistrate, the authority to restrain evil and to punish evildoers. So if a wife is struck by her husband, she should call the police immediately. God gives guns and tasers and handcuffs to the police for the protection of the vulnerable. Thanks be to God. A wife should make appropriate use of those provisions. Government officials are charged by God to, to restrain evil and to punish evildoers, and the church must never stand in the way of their commission in so doing. The second thing an abused Christian woman should do is call her pastor or the elders of her church. If the husband is a member of the church, he should immediately come under discipline. If he does not repent, he should be excommunicated. Excommunication implies that the church can no longer credit his profession of faith. It does not make him an unbeliever, but it does declare that the church does not believe or cannot credit that he is truly saved. In the eyes of the church, the woman is now married to an unbeliever, and if he leaves her, then she is not bound. And if he won't consent to live with her in a Christian marriage then we again find ourselves dealing with exception number five, detailed above. Now, let me just quickly say something. This is why it is unsafe for a woman to be a member of a church that does not practice church discipline. If your church would never excommunicate an abusive husband, then it is simply not safe for you to go there. If you're going to obey what the Bible says about marital permanence, then you need the protection of a church that is willing to obey what the Bible says about congregational discipline. Next, I want to address the issue of remarriage. Can a rightly divorced person remarry? To be clear, when the Bible permits divorce, it is so that the wronged or abandoned party may remarry. That's what a certificate of divorce is for. In, in biblical times, you would have to take that certificate of divorce with you in order to get remarried. Therefore, in any case where a divorce is biblically permissible, it is by definition also permissible for the wronged or abandoned party to remarry. Listen again to Jesus in Matthew 5, 31 to 32. He says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now he's quoting from the Bible there. He's quoting from the Old Testament. He's not saying that's wrong. He's helping them understand the original intent behind it. So the but I say is not saying, well, Moses was wrong. Don't listen to Moses. Jesus would never say that. He's helping them understand the original intention and appropriate application. So verse 32, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery because she's going to get remarried. She has to get remarried, right? So if you've cast her off wrongly, that's the issue. So let me start again, verse 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So here Jesus is simply saying that if a divorce is not legitimate, then the remarriage is, in essence, some form of adultery. Correspondingly, though, if the divorce is legitimate, then the remarriage is legitimate. Similarly, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.15 that if the unbelieving spouse does not want to stay in the marriage and does not want to live with an active and obvious Christian, then the believer should let them go. In such cases, the believer is not bound. That is to say, they are free to remarry. The pillar commentary edited by D.A. Carson makes that point explicitly. Commenting on this text, it says, "...not bound here." refers to freedom to remarry. In Stone Brewer explains, the only freedom that makes any sense in this context is the freedom to remarry. All Jewish divorce certificates and most Greco-Roman ones contained the words, you are free to marry any man you wish or something very similar, closed quote. Therefore, if the individual believer had biblical grounds for divorce, then he or she is permitted to remarry. But, only in the Lord, as Paul reminds in 1 Corinthians 7.39. Lastly, and in order to be faithful to the intention of Jesus in Matthew 19, we need to address the question, is divorce required in each of the above listed cases? And the answer to that has to be an emphatic no. The Pharisees thought that the Old Testament required divorce in certain circumstances. But Jesus sets them straight. In Matthew 19, 7, the Pharisees challenged Jesus, saying, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? But Jesus answered, saying, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So let's be very clear. The Bible nowhere commands divorce. Rather, it permits, regulates, and limits divorce. The Bible allows divorce in certain situations because of the hardness of human hearts. Hard hearts cause people to persist in sin, and hard hearts make it difficult to forgive others. But becoming a Christian is about getting a new heart a soft heart filled with the Holy Spirit of Christ. Such a heart is capable of change in the direction of Jesus Christ and is capable of forgiving a brother or a sister of even the most grievous of sins. And therefore, there really is no reason for two legitimately born-again Christians to ever get divorced. By the grace of God, they can change, they can grow, And they can forgive. But because of the hardness of hearts, because some professed believers are not truly born again Christians, a spouse may persist in sexual sin, or a spouse may not wish to be married to a true believer. In such cases, the believer is not bound. He or she is free to remarry. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to this special episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also locate the most recent episodes at ca.thegospelcoalition.org. And of course, you can find us on Facebook. I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there. We post daily encouragements and conversation starters. I'd love to see you there. And I hope to see you again real soon, right here for another episode of Into of the Word.